What's up, Active Lifers? Welcome back to the Active Life Podcast. I'm Dr. Sean Pestuch. I'm your host. Today's guest is Justin McClintock. Justin McClintock is the owner of Feel Strong Fit. He is an Active Life professional candidate. He's in our mentorship right now, has been for about a year, and this guy is absolutely crushing it. For those of you out there who are coaches, who aspire to earn six-figure incomes and more, working less than 30 hours a week, this is an an interview that you need to listen to. Justin, in the interview, talks about the fact that he starts working about 5.30 in the morning, he ends working about 11.30 in the morning, and the rest of the day is his. And he gets most of his clients from referral. He doesn't need a massive Instagram account in order to start to drive a lot of significant business to himself. This is a podcast that you're going to learn a lot about taking risks, betting on yourself, when it's appropriate, when perhaps it's not, how to investigate when it's time to make the decision, and what you can start to do today to bring value to the gym that you are at that rises the value that you have and the amount of money that you can make and the amount of freedom that you can create for yourself and your family. Justin is a masterclass on how to do this. I think that you're really going to enjoy it. Again, Justin McClintock at Feel Strong Fit on Instagram and right here on the Active Live podcast right now. Justin McClintock, welcome to the Active Live podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. You know, I'm, I'm really excited to have you on the show for, for numerous reasons. Mostly, mostly that you're one of the people who I can, I can comfortably say has taken what you are best at and applied what we are best at to it to become an amplified version of yourself, which I find to be uniquely different than somebody trying to change who they are when they get new information. And I think that that's, that's a really cool thing about you. And it's why I wanted to have you on today in particular. Thank you very much. I haven't, I haven't thought about it in that exact way, but I think I actually agree with your assessment. I found the, the active life stuff. I often describe it as another tool set. Like not, not a slightly upgraded thing, like this whole other thing I could bring into the practices and things I do, uh, and lets me be that even more so. Yeah. I think, I think that a mistake that people often make when they get new education, whether with us or with anybody else, they read a book, they listen to a podcast, whatever it might be, is they start to try to change who they are to match who they think that they're supposed to be because they've learned this new thing. And you've done a masterful job of staying Justin McClintock with more information. And I think that, that, I think that that's, that's a part of the reason why you've found the success that you found. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. I think it's, um, I think having a little bit of experience before I ran into y'all is, uh, very helpful with that, like sort of understanding who I am and how I operate and how I operate best. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like I had a, a relatively clear view of that first, which is really important. So I didn't try and become a Dr. Sean. Yeah. Good idea. Not because you couldn't, because it's just, you, you wouldn't want to be, it's, it's totally different. So yeah. I want to tell you something that you've inspired me to do and then ask you a question about it. Okay. Oh goodness. Well, you walk to work and you, you record yourself on your walk. That's kind of like you're building the Instagram story part of your day. I find that doing that for me is actually stressful. I like the walk so that I can relax and listen to music and just kind of get into my own, my own head. Um, Something that recently happened to me on my walk, and I was like, I wonder what Justin does with this happens, is the socks I was wearing started to roll down the bottom of my shoe to the point that I kept on pulling them up. And I was about a third of the way to my office. I'm like, would Justin go home and get new socks? Or would he just tough it out for the day? And then at the end of the day, be like, damn it, I have these socks on. They're going to do it again. What, What do you, has that happened to you? That exact thing hasn't happened to me. I've had uncomfortable other things happen for sure. And I usually judge it. So I almost never go back, but there's a confounding factor here. And then I'm typically walking to work. Uh, I leave just before 5 a.m. And my wife is usually still in bed, but me leaving slightly wakes her up. Not enough to get out of bed, but she'll often say like, oh yeah, I heard you leave slightly earlier, slightly late in the morning. So I know if I come back to fix it, I'm also going to wake her up. And her job is harder and more stressful than mine. Mm -hmm. So I would like to be able to let her sleep as much as possible. I'm more likely to go buy a pair of socks, like partway (laughs) through the day when the shops open up, Mm -hmm. than double back and make more noise. How selfless of you. (laughs) 
Oh. <laughs> it's All a right. small compromise, I think. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think so too. I think I think that's actually um, one of the rare instances in which we find win-win, because you get a new pair of socks to replace an old pair of socks that I like to yeah. call quitters. When socks start rolling down the foot, I call them quitters. Yeah, you can throw them out in the store. You're like, I'm going to wear these out. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> and your wife doesn't have to wake up early. So, yeah. Justin, it, moving to two more serious topics. You know, obviously, you're one of the people who who was an early adopter of our ALP mentorship curriculum, and yeah. I really want to talk to you a lot about your career. We'll talk a little bit about how the how the course has shaped it, but I really want to talk about your career, because I think that a lot of the people who listen to this show are coaches and a lot of those coaches are living an aspirational mindset that I would love to be able to make enough money as a coach to only coach, to make money as a career. And hundred percent. And I think that, um, a lot of them are probably sitting in the fight or flight freeze, the freeze part of it. For sure. Meaning they're still making a decision as to whether or not they want to try to figure this out or they want to just run to another career. So I would love to hear when you decided that you were going to stop doing what you were doing before and start pursuing coaching as a career. That that was a fight or flight moment that you chose fight. And you've told me the story before. I'd love to hear it on the air. Yeah, absolutely. It was so my first career was in showbiz. I did lighting for uh, theater, TV, big live events, things like that. Uh, I went to college for theater and that's, that's what I had done my whole life. I did, you know, I, I worked on Broadway and I traveled the country and traveled the world a little bit and did things like that. And I met my now wife in New York. We actually, I met her. She used to do what I do for a living. She's now a doctor. We met, uh, taking down scaffolding on a rock and roll rig. And she was very strong and very agile. I said, what an incredibly beautiful, talented person that she gets to talk to her. Yeah. And, she, fortunately for me, she went to medical school in New York and did a residency in New York, which is useful because if you're working in theater, New York is kind of the place to be. Uh, please don't email if you're from Chicago. I understand, but New York is just better. They've got, you know, a thousand more opportunities than anywhere else. And I was able to build a pretty decent career there. And if I had stayed in New York, it was spelled out for me very clearly that I could have worked for the rest of my life very comfortably. Like some, some, some people had steps laid out for me. What can you, can you, can you elaborate on what is very comfortably? Because I think very comfortably is different for people. For some people, very for sure. A hundred percent. Good. It would have been, uh, I, I definitely would have made, you know, certainly $150,000 plus a year in New York working a, a fairly normal theater schedule, which is different for other people. Like you work late at night, but it wouldn't have been murderous and it would have been relatively steady. Um, COVID aside, no one saw that coming, of course, right, right. but but I was, you know, it was reasonable to assume I would have a job until I wanted to retire at a wage that I could, you know, certainly pay my rent and mortgage and go out. I want, you know, in, in, we were in Manhattan. So that's not, that's not being rich. That's not having lots of money to throw around, but it would have been fine. Right. Okay. Uh, my wife got the opportunity to do a fellowship in North Carolina, which was going to be very important for her career. And we decided that that was that was the priority. And I didn't really want to do a two year long distance relationship flying from New York to North Carolina. Were you married? No, not at the time. Okay. But we, but but we were together for a long time. We had already been together for eight years at that point or something. Mm -hmm. I decided I could probably work from anywhere and talk to some people about what it would be like to work traveling. Did that move to North Carolina. It was fine. It worked pretty well. Traveled a lot. Uh, Money was still pretty good traveling. In theater? Moved to Philip. Pardon? You were traveling and doing theater work? Yeah, traveling mostly for like big corporate events and things like that. Okay. Like Hewlett Packard would have their yearly summit and bring everyone in. And I'd set up $2 million of lighting and put on shows and things like that. Got it. It's uh, a lot of suitcases. Not it's a lot of suitcases yeah. to carry around. Not a lot of art, but a lot of stuff. Right. Uh, we moved to Philadelphia, where I am now, uh, where she got a job at a hospital. And I started finding it a little harder to work locally. I, for lots of slightly political reasons, I decided I didn't want to travel as much anymore because when I traveled, I would have to leave for four or five, six weeks at a time. And it was really a quality of life decision. Like the work was fine, but I just wanted to see my Rebecca more often. 
So I decided not to travel as much anymore. That plus having a hard time working in Philly, I always felt like I was slightly spinning my wheels and was figuring out another way forward. And at that time, an opportunity at the gym I was just a member of slightly presented itself. Like a part-time coach announced that they were leaving to do something. And I was pretty sure that I would be able to get a job there. I had coached in North Carolina. I'd coached other places and I was pretty sure that I could get a part-time job there. And I'm usually pretty good at hustling stuff. And I saw a sort of nine month to 15 month journey where I could absolutely turn this into a full-time job if I was willing to be available and hustle and be the guy who could fill in at the last minute and do all those things. That did, however, mean saying no to a lot of work. Mm -hmm. So I came home and we sat down and I came, I came home and said, how would you feel about me taking a $120,000 pay cut a year? And we sat down and did that budget out and figured out and realized like, yeah, we could make it work. You know, stuff has to change, but we can make it work. And I said, okay, I'm, I can absolutely turn this into a job. I bet I can do this into the thing I do from now on, but I need nine months. And it worked. How did you, I I worked a lot to ask you there. Hold on. Yeah. I I know it worked and we're going to get to that. You come home to your, your wife now, or at this point, she's still not your wife. Uh, we, we only recently got married. Honestly, we got married because I, you were in a very committed relationship and it was going to be your wife or not, but it didn't matter. This was the person and you were, you were sharing bills. You were living in the house together, all that kind of stuff. Yes. And so you come home and you say, I'm going to make $120,000 a year less, which based on what you said before is about $30,000 a year. Yeah. And first of all, you just come home, you walk in the door one day, you open it. You're like, Hey, Rebecca, what do you think of $120,000 less per year? And she's just like, well, let's, let's break out a pad and break it down. Like take us through that conversation. It was, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate to be with a very special person. She had been, you know, very aware of the frustrations I had been having up to that point. And I had expressed that I thought the the gym I was a member of is a place I would like to hang out. It wasn't like, it didn't come out of nowhere, but I, when it, when I saw the opportunity, I came home and said, so I think this could work, but how do you feel about it. And, and fortunately for me, the first thing she asked was like, well, is that what's going to make you happy? Like you've been frustrated. You've been upset. You're not having any fun. You don't like what you're doing with this. Do you think this is a big enough improvement to give up lots of stuff? Yeah. hundred percent. Like I'm, I've been poor before I, and we weren't going to be poor, but it's like, I can absolutely take this big cut again. I, I think there's real promise here. And if there's not the nature of stage handing and theater is like, I can crawl my way back. It's not, I'm not necessarily slamming the door though. It's, it's a longer road back when you disappear for a while. So I, I recently interviewed Rich Devinney on the podcast. I don't know if you know Rich Devinney is, but he's, I don't think I do. He's the author of the book, uh, the attributes, which is about the 25 attributes that humans have that they can identify and leverage performance based on. And in the interview, he's a retired Navy SEAL commander, very, very impressive guy. And in the interview, one of the things he talked about was when you step through fear, which whether you were afraid or not, there is this uncertainty that lives in that moment. Yeah. And when you step through that, you get a dopamine response that enables you to take another little step forward. When you came home and told Rebecca that, offloading that, did yeah. that give you a sense of calm, relief, excitement? Do you remember? A hundred percent. Even just, just expressing it and saying it out loud was like, it was like putting a weight down. Yeah. Like it didn't, like I knew it was still there. It wasn't, it didn't necessarily make the journey easier, but it sure as hell felt better. Yeah. I don't, do you know, do you know I had a very similar conversation with my wife? No, no, this is news actually. Yeah. So 2017, I knew I no longer wanted to be in clinic, Mm -hmm. clinic gym ownership. I I was just, I was done with them and I was earning it similar revenue to what you were describing between 120 and 150, $60,000 a year. And I told her, I'm, I'm going to be done with this cause I don't like it anymore. And I'm going to take a chance in this online thing. And she's like, what's that going to pay? I said, just about nothing. <laughs> well, I'm going to pay for more Facebook ads. So it's sort of negative. Well, yeah, at the time we weren't doing Facebook ads at all. Uh, but it was, sure. it, it, it took me back down to like $4,000 a month, which in downstate New York yeah. is not an ideal revenue. Yeah. But she, like your wife, she supported it. And it felt just amazing to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to claw this thing out and we're going to, we're going to be just fine. 
You mentioned that you had a nine month trajectory that you had mapped out in your head, nine months to a year. How did you know nine months and, and how accurate was that? I thought in nine months I could, I could make myself so invaluable that they couldn't see getting rid of me. That was actually my, I don't know if I ever said this to anyone, but Rebecca, but that was my plan. I said, I can be, so, I'm good at what I do. I'm, I was already a, a, a decent coach and I have lots of other skills that make me useful to have in a room and in a building, uh, including from the stagehand thing. I said, I'm going to make myself so valuable. They can't imagine this place without me. And then I'll just get more and more hours and people are going to leave and people are going to come and like, I I can make myself something they would never want to get rid of. So I was available for absolutely every shift. I volunteered for every holiday. I did the early morning Sunday stuff. I would also ask if I could do projects like, hey, the storage is kind of weird. I have, I designed something. Do you mind if I build it and submit receipts? And the owner at the time was like, Justin, you can, she actually said, if you have an idea and it's under $300, you can just do it. And I started installing lights and wiring things for power and adding more and just all the stuff I knew how to do get better and better and better. And pretty soon I was a fixture. Yeah. And that was a big part of my like nine months. I thought it would take a while to get there, but I thought in nine months I would be, in a very good place to, you know, ask for more hours or more responsibility or the kind of things I thought I wanted to do, but it would take a while to, to prove myself, frankly. Well, and, and in the fitness business, you were in a micro gym, right? You were in a CrossFit gym. And, and so there is some reality that we can bump up against, which is it might not matter how indispensable you are. The money just might not be there. Correct. And, yeah. and so, so, so did you find yourself running into that? Cause I'm thinking about, let's say you're paid $25 a class. I'm just making numbers up and you can somehow get yourself to coaching 30 classes a week, right? You'd still be making $750 a week, which is yeah. still going to be about a hundred thousand dollars less than you were making before on a very full-time schedule. Yeah, totally. And that absolutely happened. Like, there were, there were conversations after not much more than a year, you know, I was every, at that time, everyone, all of the coaches were salaried except myself because I was the only part-timer and the owner had a conversation with me where they were a little upset because I was the highest earning coach in the gym. Why and they, who was upset? The coaches or the owner? The owner, because they hadn't seen it coming because they had uh, a relatively easy um, substitution policy where if someone needed their class covered, they could just ask and whoever covered it, covered it. And that was fine. And if it was Justin, of course he got paid hourly, but people didn't get docked for it. Mm-hmm. So the money didn't come from anywhere. So I had suddenly added more than another coach's salary onto their payroll in a way they hadn't seen well, coming. In, in fairness, you didn't. They cre- right. They created a system whereby yes. it could have been, five people who shared that money. But, but let's say for example, there were 200 classes a year that got vacated and you filled all of them. They were still going to pay another coach's salary worth of classes per year to just to somebody else. Now it would have been much more than 200, but you follow what I'm saying there. Yeah. So I didn't do anything wrong, but they found themselves in a situation they, they somehow didn't see coming. Well, they, they created a meritocracy and didn't realize the ramifications of doing so. So what happened then? I asked for, I mean, I, I was, I said, I told them I was willing to go on salary, but not willing to take a pay cut. And that was a longer discussion because they couldn't match my money, et cetera, et cetera. And I put forth that I'd already been doing some programming for people and was also interested in doing more programming. And they said, oh, that's interesting because we actually have you in mind for doing the programming for the gym. And that comes with some more money and that's the way forward. And that's, that was basically the next step of taking over the, at that time, the gym had like a CrossFit program and an Olympic lifting program and one or two others. And I would be taking over all the programming for that. And that came with basically its own uh, stipend. Right. Uh, but that stipend wasn't getting you to where you were or where you are now. No, no, that was, that it's been a real slow burn in some ways, getting me to where I am now. The programming for classes made me much more comfortable doing all the programming. And it also gave me a huge amount of exposure in that group class format. And as soon as people knew I was the one doing the programming, they felt more comfortable asking me for their personal programming. 
what year in was a way this? they hadn't before. And what year Pardon? was this? What year was this? This was 2018. Okay. 2017, 2018. Yeah. Okay. So 2018, you start to develop a real role in the gym because you're now providing the programming to the entire group. And then people are starting to say, Hey, if you can do this for a group of people, I imagine you can do something for me. So how did, how did that start? You started working with people one-on-one. Yep. I would offer people like if I saw, especially a skill they want to work on. Uh, at the time I was sort of the gymnastic specialist in the gym. So especially if someone wanted a rope climb or a muscle up or those, those kind of things, I would design programs around that. And that's where my, uh, my, my company feel strong fitness was born out of because then people would leave the gym for one reason or another. They'd move to New York was really popular because we're in Philadelphia. So people get jobs in New York and they would get in touch and ask for more programming. And at the time I said, okay, yeah, sure. I'll just do programming and keep submitting it on payroll. And the owner understandably didn't want to process payroll if he wasn't getting a cut of it. Mm-hmm. And kind of offhandedly told me I should probably go form an LLC or something if I wanted to do that. So I went home and started a business. Well, that was pretty good advice. Yeah, it was totally, I didn't, and I was just scared of taxes. I said, well, I was going to run it through here because I don't, you know, the IRS is scary and I've chased people down. I know. So I want to make sure I'm paying taxes and I don't know how to, he said, well, I'm, I'm not processing this payroll for you. So you can right, 1099 right. it or form an LLC. And I also hate 1099. So I was like, well, I'm not doing that. I guess I'm going to form an LLC. Did you do LLC or like, I know an S corp is a type of LLC, but what's your classification? I'm an LLC. Talk to your CPA. Okay. Yeah. You might, I'm not a tax expert, but I think you would rather be an S corp. Oh, I'll ask. I'm, I'm very close with my accountant. They're wonderful. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's a New York state specific thing, but certainly, um, it made a significant difference for us. Significant. Oh, good to know. Yeah. Um, anyway, back to you. So uh, you said it was a slow burn going from coaching classes to where you are now. Can you first before, like, let's make this like a good movie. Where are you now? And then we'll go back in time and bring it back forward on that slow burn. Where am I now in regards to like, how do I spend my time or money or what? Whatever you're, whatever you're prepared to share. Oh, I'm, I'm happy to be transparent. I'm, I'm, that's all fine. Now I spend, so I've got about, as of right now, I have about 38 clients uh, with feel strong fitness. That's a mix of online only and in person. I think it's four or five in person. And the the remainder, I I guess that's 33 online. Uh, I coach three or four group classes a week in the gym. And I'm still in charge of their programming for all of the, all the various programs that get run. I also do some personal training in-person programming with gym clients. And those are two separate, two separate client groups that end up overlapping sometimes. Mm -hmm. But if it comes through the gym, it's a subversus fitness client. If it comes from somewhere else online only, it's a feel strong client. Okay. And have you reached the pay that you were making when you were working as a stagehand? It's, close. Okay. I'm my goal this year. I, I had a, a sort of a moment in March of this year where I felt it was pretty challenging professionally. And I decided that I was going to make this the year where I was definitely making six figures only from coaching. Right. And I, I'm supposed to check next week to see where I am, but I'm, I think I'm ahead of schedule. Okay. So let's go back to the early slow burn. Sure. Right. Cause what, what, what you're describing there is something that I think most people in the coaching world, quite frankly, can't fathom happening for them. The idea that they would make six figures plus in a year as a coach only is like, yeah. no, no, that's not a real thing. Now, obviously it is. And the way you described it, it sounds like you're working less than 30 hours a week on the coaching doing that. Is that about right? Yes. This year, I would also say I have the easiest schedule I've had in five years and I'm easily going to make the most money. What is, what does an easy schedule mean? I, I generally, most of my in-person clients are in the morning. Mm-hmm. So I walk in really early. Like we talk about, I'm usually done by eight or eight thirty in the morning. I do three or four hours of computer work and the rest of the time is my own. That's fantastic. Good for you. Pretty dope. Yeah. Good for you. Now, do you find that the other coaches in the gym, the other coaches who you communicate with outside of, for example, the ALP mentorship program, mm-hmm. is there animosity there? 
No. And it's interesting. I don't think so. At least it's, it hasn't been expressed partly because from the very beginning, I was trying really hard to make sure that the gym and the other coaches were winning and something I think I did wrong actually, which is part of my, my challenging moment I had in March was I was trying to get everyone else to do what I was doing and show them how useful it could be for them. Because I would, I was willing to take a big step back. If I could bring this group of people forward with me, it could make the whole gym better and show other coaches that this could be a career. I was willing to give some free time away and, and do a bunch of that. And it wasn't working. And by focusing just focusing more on what I was doing and my success and, and being the best coach I could be and the most successful coach I could be. Now, all of them have come to me at one point or another and said, I want to learn how to do this. I want to do more. This looks great. I think this is going to be fun. I want more, including the, the gym owner is yeah. now absolutely making this part of the program. And we now have personal training uh, session goals in the gym, which has never happened before. Right. And things like that. So setting like leading by example, I found much more successful than trying to tell people how good it was. You know what it is? It's, it's people, people watch you go through a wall. This at least this is what I've found. Um, people watch you go through a wall and they're like, damn, he got bloody. <laughs> that was, yeah. he got bloody going. That looks like that it wall. hurt. Yeah. I don't know if I want to go through that wall. And then they get closer to it. Cause they're like, do I want to go through? He looks really happy on the other side of that wall. Do I want to go through it? And they get closer to the wall and they're like, Oh, wait a minute. He put a hole in the wall. I don't have to go through it the same way that he did. And then they start to kind of climb through the wall and maybe they get nicked up here and there, but they're not getting bloody the way that you did. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's part of our, well, I, yeah, I think that's part of our job. Like as coaches and leaders and entrepreneurs and leaders of people is like learning the hard lessons and then creating a step over at least some of those hard lessons. Like, so here's the nine things that didn't work for me at least. And this is the thing that worked. May I suggest you at least start here before mm -hmm. you try these other nine? Right. You know, it's, um, it's funny. I had this conversation with Kelly Sturette when I get, when I brought him onto the show and I told him he was the guy that went through the wall that allowed me to approach the wall with much less fear. That totally makes sense. I never made that connection, but that absolutely makes sense. Well, you know, he was here first. He yeah. was doing the thing first. And, and, I've never tried to be the next Kelly Sturette. And I've, I've always avoided in any way, shape or form trying to tear down Kelly Sturette. And my interest has always been to be the first me and to attract people like you to become the first you. So when you start working with coaches in your own gym and with the owner in your own gym, and when I say your own gym, I mean the gym that you work at. Yeah. How do you balance that? Because I think that a lot of coaches who are going to listen to this will say, I would love to make $100,000 a year working as a coach. The gym owner, though, would never allow it. How, when the gym owner might, how does a coach approach a gym owner and provide an opportunity for everybody to get what they want to get out of this thing? Well, that's, the, that's, that's exactly it. Like, you have to approach it as, why would this be useful for the gym owner? Like, how is it only a win and, and make a list? Like, Here's, first of all, here's how you're going to get paid from it. Like first and foremost, like your bottom line is at least safe, if not going to be very useful. I started, I started paying my gym owner fees for my, when I would bring people there to train long before they ever asked. Mm -hmm. They're like, like we're, we're very friendly. We have a great relationship. I asked if I could train some people there. He's like, yeah, yeah. As long as there's space, like, you know, stay out of the way of classes, but that's fine. Do whatever you want. And I said, great, I'm going to like, what's the fee? He said, Oh, I don't, I don't like, you can just do it. I'm cool. Like as long as there's room, said, absolutely not. Like we're getting paid for this. Tell me. And he said, great. How about a drop in? So every single session I hold with a feel strong person in that gym, the first of the month, I cut a check for the previous month and they get a check. And I think they notice that the check keeps going up and up and up and up right, and up. Right. And there, that has to be at least somewhat useful. I'm not, you know, it's not many thousands of dollars, but it's useful to them. So there, and as well as potential retention, we know that personal training is great for retention and showing value. Mm -hmm. It can be great for coach retention, right? And this was certainly the case with me. Like I was chomping at the bit and needed more and they gave me space to play and do whatever I want. Or I think I would have ended up going elsewhere if I was stuck at whatever $40,000 a year and only group classes and feeling like I wasn't moving forward. 
people are going to do something else or get completely burnt out and jump ship entirely. Well, I think it takes a lot of maturity on both your behalf and the gym owner's behalf to create an environment in which you can feel inspired to grow a personal brand. Because a lot of gym owners will look at a a staff member building a personal brand as a threat to their gym. And a lot of coaches who would build a personal brand would do so in order to pose a threat to the gym in which they work. It's a, I'll show you kind of thing. Where did that kind of go ahead? No, I was gonna say, where do you find that balance? Because I mean, when I say that balance, I know you never even considered doing it. The, the, the way that I just described where it's like, Hey, you're not going to, you're not going to pay me. I'll show you how much you're missing out on by earning it. And then you'll be sorry. I know you're not doing that. How do you keep a clear mind when you're basically having to build, getting to build a business within somebody else's business that they may lack the awareness can be built until you've done it. Part of it helps that I didn't want to do exactly what they were doing. Like at the time I started, we were doing zero personal training, essentially, you know, the occasional, we have, we have a, an internationally competitive weightlifter and she would train a person every once in a while, but like a session or two a month kind of thing. So nobody was doing it. So what the specific thing I was doing was no kind of competition. I think if a coach find themselves thinking those thoughts, like I could do this so much better, like that's how, that's how so many CrossFit gyms have opened, right? Mm-hmm. Like the head coach is want something more or hates the way they do their mobility. So they go buy a building and start a gym and that may or may not work out well. But I was really interested in adding on in a big way, sort of like how I described active life earlier. I'm going to take this whole other tool set and deliver it to you. And most people are going to see it as value that you are delivering, right? Like they come to your gym, they talk to one of your coaches, they get this incredible product. They feel better. Like this is only good for you. And I'm not competing with anything you're doing. I'm not taking a dollar out of your pocket. I'm not poaching clients. None of that. You say you're not taking a dollar out of their pocket because you are paying them the drop in fee that they asked you to pay them when you started doing it. Well, when you suggested I need to pay you something for this, is that right? Correct. And they're, and, and at the time, at least they weren't doing any personal training. So it's not like, it's not like feel strong is coming in and, you know, undercutting them or, or providing this thing that I wouldn't have provided as right. a coach in their gym. It was a client who came from somewhere else that they never would have found most likely because right. they were looking for a product they did not offer. And I've delivered them here. And several of them in the meantime, have said, Hey, those group classes are really fun. Is there a way for me to like do some of those sometime and keep working with you? Of course there is right, right. this way. The membership is very simple. How often do you think that happens? Not super often. But it, it has happened and people have flowed back and forth where someone starts with personal training, does some group or maybe mixes it back and forth. Uh, I just had someone the other day who I kind of graduated out of one on one sessions and they had declared a couple months ago that their goal was to eventually get to group classes. So that was what we designed their sessions around. So two things there. The first one is um, for the gym owners. I want I want to share a perspective that I think is important, and that is that. If you have team members like Justin who are able to earn a hundred plus thousand dollars a year operating within the business that you own, it, it is inspiring to other people that they might be able to do the same thing if they come and work at your business. And it makes you more powerful and more influential as opposed to what you may fear, which is the opposite, which is that Justin gains so much power and so much influence that you were at his beckoning call. And, and I think that that's a really important thing for gym owners to wrap their mind around. I, I interviewed Hannah Eden a long time ago on this show, and she was talking about how she had a, a rock star staff member who was just growing so fast, both online and in person. And she was like, that was exactly what I wanted. I wanted to keep that person because it showed people you could become this working in Hannah's gym. And I think yeah. that that's really valuable. Now, the next thing I want to talk to you is you just described people graduating personal training and going into the group class, that that was their goal from the very beginning. A lot of coaches have fear around their clients no longer needing them. Talk about why for you, a client no longer needing you is a compliment. I think it's a, I think it's a huge success. One of the things we strive for as feel strong, I strive for as feel strong. I often speak in the Royal we are on business. I don't really know why. Because, because um, you're being, you perhaps are being aspirational to what you intend to be. And you're speaking as if you already are. 
That's exactly what I know exactly why I do it because so that four years from now, someone can be looking at a piece of content and understand that it comes from the team. Right. Um, the ability to create autonomous clients is a massive success for any coach. Like ideally you were doing such a good job and providing so much education within what you're doing. Even if you're not deliberately educating, you're, you know, you're showing them how to do these things. You're describing the right ways to do it. You're making corrections. You are changing their program in very small ways. So it meets them exactly where they are. So I think in theory, if someone works for you with works with you, pardon me for a time, six months, nine months, a year, whatever it is, they should be able to do a lot of this on their own if they wanted to. And I certainly like when someone comes to me and says, I think I have everything I need. I feel really good. I'm totally functional. I feel like I can just do whatever I want. And that was always the point. I think I'm good. Like super double high five. I'm over the moon. I'm incredibly excited. Most of my long-term clients, honestly, could do this. Mm -hmm. I certainly, I have people who've been on the books for three, four years if they wanted to, they could probably write their own programming. They could probably design their own cycle, but they have some very big lofty goals. They really value the outside set of eyes and they frankly don't have the time to do that kind of stuff. So they're happy to offload a lot of that work and get my perspective on it. Well, what you're talking about is seeking want instead of seeking need. And, and I think that I want you all to imagine you're, you're sitting around your dinner table with family and friends and it's a big happy group and you've been working with somebody for four years and you still haven't gotten what you signed up to get from that person, but you're getting closer. You tell all of your friends and family that they should go and work with this person because they're just so great. They look at you and they say, you started working with this person four years ago and you haven't changed to us, right? Like nothing, nothing about what you're doing here seems to be working, but you're a great client for the coach because you, you keep paying. You're very unlikely to be able to reliably refer. Yeah. Now imagine a different situation. You're at that same table. You got exactly what you signed up for. You can tell stories to your friends about what you got from that coach. What about your life is better and why? And then when they say, do you think they could help me? You say, yeah, absolutely. You make the introduction. That's a person who can refer. Now, if you're a coach, which person do you want representing you at the dinner table with their friends and family? Of course. So do you regularly get referrals from your clients? That's yes. That's a very high percentage of people who come to me. Do you ask for them or do they come naturally? I have asked in the past. I'm not as good about that as I should be. Mm -hmm. Um, Partly, honestly, I think because things are going pretty well. I think if I had more open spots and things like that, I would do a better job beating the bushes for referrals. And I think I could get them, but it happens regularly enough. And I, whenever it happens, I'll of course, reach out and say thank you and all of those things that it's um, I don't have to ask that much for it. Well, I think that a part of the reason why you why you get clients so successfully is you you strike me as somebody who is radically transparently honest and very much so. And what that means is I imagine that there are people who have come to you in the past who you've said, I don't think I should work with you. Yeah. You this is a bad fit. Can you talk yeah. about that? Who, who, like who would be a bad fit and how long did it take you to know some people are just not a good fit? Oh, those are both good questions. Well, bad fit. Anyone who wants, uh, you know, unrealistic results, uh, we just walk away from. We don't do quick changes. I don't do, and I'm not, not throwing shade at anyone in particular, but we don't do 21 day challenges or any of that stuff. If someone has a wedding in 30 days and they want to cut 15 pounds, like I'm just, I'm not your guy. It's not, I, I know how to do that, but I don't like doing it. And it's so unsustainable that I don't really want a part of it. Um, another group of people who fit into that category is people who have like acute pain or something where it's just outside of my scope. Like uh, I do a fair amount of work of getting people out of pain very successfully. But if someone presents with something that I realize is just not my lane, I don't try and make it my lane. I have a decent network already of uh, physical therapists and other people I trust. I said, you said, this is great. You should go talk to these people first or at least get cleared to work with me. I'm, I'm not sure this is my bag. Go talk to them, see how they feel about it and then come back to me. Let's stay there for a second. Did you do that before you worked with us? I wasn't as good at developing the network before. 
I was okay at saying like, eh, I don't, I'm not sure I can do this, but I wasn't as good at saying, actually, I'm not sure I can do this. My friend Nick is great at this and he works similarly like I do, but he's licensed and he can put his hands on you and put needles in you and like, go talk to Nick. If he says it's cool, he'll tell me what we think we should be doing. You can come back to me and we'll work together then. So what, that was definitely an evolution. What changed there? Um, I mean, honestly, being being encouraged to build that network, um, doing a better job researching and kind of finding out, especially physical therapists who work the way I work, as opposed to as opposed to the way that that a, a fair amount of the physical therapy community works with just, you know, light bands and eight minutes on the treadmill and, you know, not enough attention, et cetera, et cetera. There's there are plenty of people doing really good work out there. And I found some of them, which is also really helpful. So I think the combination of being introduced to the principles, as well as, I mean, through the active life education, having more vocabulary to be able to professionally communicate with these folks in a way that they found really useful. I think vocabulary that you understood and could apply. Yeah, I wasn't making it up. I could like, right, I, I could actually assess someone and note something and take a picture and send it to them and say, yeah, this is what I was thinking, but I'm not sure about this and this, and I actually don't know how these nerves innervate. So I leave this on your desk. How did you approach the physical therapist? Because I think, I think a lot of coaches would love to have a relationship with a really good physical therapist, chiropractor or otherwise. And they, they just don't know how to start those conversations. Most of mine, I have a, a pretty, I spend a fair amount of time on Instagram and I found most of them through there. Like I'm looking locally, I'm looking around Philadelphia and I found several that have an okay internet presence and we're obviously doing the kind of things that I do meaning like working with weights and putting people through progressive programs and that kind of stuff. And I would just reach out and talk to them. I took one to coffee very early when I, in the active life immersion program, uh, the, the first like reach out I did was taking a physical therapist out to coffee and honestly just like making sure they worked the way I thought they worked and explaining some of what I was going for and mostly to refer people to them. Right. Um, which they really enjoy. They said, Oh, I thought you were going to like ask me for clients. I said, I mean, if that happens, it'd be cool, but I'm, I'm looking for places to send people when I'm not the right person, because that also makes me look good. Mm -hmm. If I send them to a wonderful person who does wonderful work, then I also have more credibility and trust if, and when they should come back somewhere down the line. Well, let's talk about that more because I think that oftentimes people go into relationships like that. And they're trying to do a, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. It, it works out really well. Everything is great. And, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. You want to be direct and ask for what you want. However, um, there's a time, there's a place, and there's a level of trust that I think it's valuable to earn before you start asking for that. So your long game could certainly be, of course, I want you to send me clients. Of course I do. Yeah. Your short game needs to be, I need to prove that that's worthwhile first, though. So do you get referrals from the physical therapist at all? I do now. The, the same one you took for coffee? Yeah, I've gotten one from them. I've gotten a couple other from uh, Nick, who I, I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's slow, but it's, it's useful. And I feel really good about being part of that network, honestly. Well, I think, I think people are always going to underestimate the speed of slow. And, and, oh, and sure. when I say that, if you got one client a quarter... Once every three months from a medical professional, that's four clients a year. If the average client is paying you, let's say $2,000 all in that they just referred you $8,000 a year. That's significant. I think anyone would take that. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then you have the opportunity to go to those four people and say, Hey, is there anybody who, you know, who we should be working with? Because Obviously, your physical therapist trusted me. Obviously, we got you these great results. And I imagine you know people who would like the same results and someone who they can trust. So it, it, it grows from there. I think it's all about being super consistent with what you do. I just had someone, I'm working with a, a postpartum mom, and they just started their pelvic floor physical therapy. They worked with me a little bit beforehand, started their pelvic floor, and came back for our next session and said, so the pelvic floor lady said like, we're doing exactly what she wants me to do already. Like, and I was already like better at my bracing and she did some massage and stuff that I know we're not going to do, but she was like, she thinks <laughs> we're, we're totally on the same page and like wanted to know all about you. 
I was like, yeah, that's great. Please pass my information. I want to have a chat. I'm totally, I'm not fooling myself into thinking I'm going to get 30 more clients this month. Right. But now I have, and the fact that that person feels that way, I said, excellent. I want that information because I don't have a pelvic floor physical therapist in my Rolodex. And just from this information, I already feel comfortable sending people that direction. Well, and, and, and there's this, there's this moment that I know everybody is like, oh my God, like it's the false peak moment. And it really does happen. And the false peak moment in this world is when the doctors who, you know, the doctors who have heard good things about you through your clients, cause you've referred them to all of them when they end up in a room together and they realize they all know the same person and they're all getting the same input about that person. And then all of a sudden it's like, we need to pull a seat out and let this person sit at the table with us. That's a moment that happens after months or years of consistent, consistent positive output and doing the right thing by the client. Yep. What's the biggest lesson that you've learned in the last two years of moving from coach who runs some classes, who's trying to build a career by doing odds and ends around the gym to self-sustainable fitness professional trending towards becoming something that is very clearly and demonstrably the gap between fitness and healthcare. That's a great question. Redefining. Let me think about it. I did a much better job redefining what success would be. I stopped trying to replicate anything anyone else was doing necessarily, which was a big temptation for a while. Like, I know more than so-and-so, or I could do a better job designing this kind of program or that kind of program and got really clear. And this actually came out partly from a conversation or was reinforced in a conversation you and I had. I don't remember if it was on a podcast or if it was in private because that's how my life is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you said something along the lines of, well, if every client was paying you $10,000 a month, what kind of service would you be delivering? Oh, and we kind of made a list of like, what I could just do now for free, right. what would take like some time, money, resources, and I could probably do some of it and what was essentially impossible until that was actually true and started implementing all of those things and not being afraid to not do the same thing everyone else was doing. Like I'm doing breath work and mobility and cardio and bodybuilding in the same session with the same person because it's the right thing for that person, even though it probably doesn't look like anyone else's program at least that you're going to see on Instagram. Right. Right. And how has learning that changed your day-to-day life experience? It's very freeing because it's easy. I find it easy to just, now I'm just being me and doing what I I sincerely think is the right thing to do. And I'm not saying I haven't gone off the reservation. I'm not using some magic Justin algorithm or something. It's all the same fitness stuff that everyone else knows. I think if you do this for long enough, you, you build a big enough toolbox, but being able to stay really true to myself and be able to support it. That's one of the things I think is really important is whenever, should anyone ever ask, why are we doing this? Or what's the goal? Or when do we move on? Or any of those questions, you have a really good answer for it. And if you don't, you should probably reconsider what you're doing. I'm not just throwing things at the wall. I'm doing things that I sincerely think are going to get people from A to B as fast as possible without wasting time and be incredibly effective. I love it. And, and I think that anyone who follows you on Instagram, what is that? At feel strong fit, feel strong dot fit. Feel strong fit. Anyone who go to at feel strong fit, follow Justin. And what you'll find, what I found, and I shared this with somebody recently and it actually came back to you, which I found you know, is I was talking to somebody who believed that you need to have thousands and thousands of followers on Instagram in order to be successful in your business. And, and the opposite is true. You don't. And not only, not only do you, there, there are many ways to look at your, your business media, as we like to call it. One of them is how many people are following me? Another one. It's like, yeah. Oh, go ahead. No. Another one is what a great place to practice what I believe is important and, and practice my message when, when there's nobody following and I'm not saying you have nobody following when there, when there's nobody following, nobody is listening to tell you that sucks and you're an ass. And as people start to come in, you refine and refine and refine off of the feedback that your audience provides. 
And then that becomes the language that you use with your in-person clients that helps you to grow your business. And maybe every once in a while, somebody comes from Instagram. Yep, absolutely. And anyone who follows you can see that that's exactly what you're doing. And that's, and overtly, like, yeah, just that's where, that's where the, the, my podcast came from. It came out of just, I, I felt like I need to say something. I had these walks to work every day. I felt like I didn't have time and I didn't know what to do. So I just pointed the camera at my face on my walk to work and just like, what am I going to talk about this morning? All right. I'm going to, I'm going to try and do that for 10 minutes unbroken well, and you, see how that works out. You definitely have time. It starts at 1130 in the morning and it ends whenever you decide to go to bed. Uh, Justin McClintock, besides feel strong fit, is there anything that people should be looking for or knowing about you? The website is feelstrong.me if they want to read more about services, resources, all that kind of stuff. Otherwise, Instagram's the place. I am a super responsive to DMs. So if you have questions, feedback, want to get in touch, uh, DM at feelstrongfit, and I tend to be pretty responsive. I love it. And, and I encourage all of you to do that, whether you end up signing up with Justin or not. Go ahead and take a look at what he's got going on there. Uh, I can promise you this. He will not compete on price with the other people who you're considering working with, he will absolutely win on value. Uh, that's, that's extremely fair. And I really, really appreciate it. That's a huge compliment on both. I would say my pleasure. And it doesn't mean someone else can't win, by the way, it doesn't mean there's a winner and a loser. It just means Justin will be worth what he's charging you. It's a big world. Lots of people need help. We can all help everyone. You're not kidding. Justin, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Active lifers. I have a favor to ask you if you enjoyed the show, We pride ourselves on bringing value to you through the lens of bridging the gap between fitness and healthcare. The best way for you to support this podcast is by reviewing this episode wherever you listen. Please give us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. Your support helps so much. Send a screenshot of your review to us on our Instagram account at ActiveLifeRx. As a thank you, we'll gift you a special PDF with the most common mistakes made when working out and how to correct them. 